It was 5.55 a.m., and it was a claustrophobic day in the dungeons of Portugal. I had just come across a mechanic I had never seen before, and I needed to call and help. My partner's name is Luke. The game is Cinco Pau. My name is Josh. I'm a podcaster. I host this. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to a Spitball Jam session. Today, I'm joined by my friend Luke, and we're going to be talking about the game Cinco Pau by Michael Bro. And we're also going to be doing a little bit of a compare and contrast with the, with the video game Imbroglio. Cinco Pau. What does the Cinco mean? Uh, I think it means uh, to go underwater. Oh. If I remember correctly, one of our old co-workers used to tell us that Cinco, Cinco de Mayo is apparently about the day the Titanic sank. <laughs> and apparently this Titanic was carrying mayonnaise. I never did figure that part out. Eh, well, you know. All right. Anyway. So you were going to tell me a little bit about Imbrolia because I guess you had looked that up. Oh, yes, because uh, that was uh, something else that this guy made, right? So Imbrolio is a $6 game you can get on Steam. It is a single-player adventure casual indie it's made by rotislav pogosian and it is a puzzle slider that is that is a different game i actually will check that out because that actually sounds really interesting but no we're talking about imbroglio made by michael bro so it's not it's not a a sokoban mechanic puzzle game no, it's uh, it's it's an iPhone-based uh, roguelike on a 5x5 five five grid with card mechanics, because card mechanics are trendy. Ah, card mechanics are trendy. But actually, primarily, I, I would actually like to talk about uh, Cinco Pau, because I think Imbroglio was last year's hotness. I was, we, we've talked on the, on the podcast a couple times before but that I was super hooked on Imbroglio for a while. But, and I didn't like Cinco Pau when it first came out, but in the last month or so, I have gotten super duper hooked on Cinco Pau. And I really want to talk about why. Okay, well, tell me why. Okay, so Cinco Pau is a game in which you are playing on a 5x5 five five grid, and it is run-based. So you come in on a random spot, and you have to get to the exit, and somewhere in the map there are there's a key, and somewhere in the map there's an th- item you could pick up. And also somewhere in the map, randomly distributed are a bunch of enemies, Um, frogs, lizards, roosters, shrimp, and sometimes a ghost. Uh, They're all real animals. Except the ghost. Well, you know, maybe. Sometimes. Um, It might be a tadpole. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think it's a ghost. So the problem is I can't be sure about that because I don't speak Portuguese. And Cinco Pau, everything in Cinco Pau, the rules... Uh, the tutorial, uh, the description of everything, it's all in Portuguese. So, Josh, can you speak Portuguese? Uh, I actually do know one word of Portuguese. Cinco? Uh, well, Cinco is actually also Spanish, but... Um, True. No, I know, um, or I used to know the word for brother in, in, in Portuguese. I do not know it any longer. So, you've forgotten the only word you knew I in Portuguese. the only word I know. Yeah, I, I speak about as much Portuguese. Actually, I speak slightly less Portuguese than I do Czech. Fantastic. So, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much useless in Portuguese. I can understand a little bit of it because it's very similar to Spanish. Uh, but I also don't speak much Spanish, so that's not particularly useful. No, I can see why it wouldn't be. So, Cinco Pau apparently means five wands. And so, in Cinco Pau, you start out each floor 
Uh, it's a it's a five by five grid, five floors, five wands. So each wand refreshes at the start of each floor, and each wand has five powers. This is this is a five based game. Everything in this game is fives. That is very interesting. And each wand has a uh, has a has a randomly selected set of five powers, and they could be in any combination of them. Usually, there's never more than one or two overlaps. So, do you have to figure out what each one does as when you start, or do you get to select them? Uh, no, they're all. They're not only are they randomized. They are. You don't know what any of them actually does until you use it, and you don't even know necessarily then because it will only identify if the power actually does anything, which is possibly one of the most difficult parts of this game. Sounds it. So, for instance, there's a power that. You know, if the beam of the wand hits an enemy, it'll take off one point of health. But if it doesn't hit an enemy, it doesn't tell you it has that power. There's another power where if it goes over the middle square on the screen, it will do one damage to every enemy on the level. But if you never fire it over the middle square on the screen, it will never tell you that it has that power. There are a couple of things in the game. There's books which will identify one ability. One of the wand abilities is an ability that will tell you what ability one square on on a wand has based on where you're positioned on the map. But otherwise, you have to figure it all out for yourself. Huh. But here's what gets really interesting, because all of what the description of what all of the powers do is in Portuguese. So eventually somebody did make a guide on WordPress that I have started to use because I don't speak Portuguese and I kind of wanted to learn what everything actually does rather than just trying to guess. Somehow. I could see that being rather difficult to figure out if you didn't understand the language. I think a lot of them are actually fairly straightforward. Like if there's an arrow with an X on either side of it, that tells you, oh, that does damage to thing enemies on either side of the beam. But there are, yeah, there are some like the earthquake, which is the one that does one damage to everything in the level. Or um, oh, there was one that like, if it passes a wall... And there's something on the other side of the wall that does damage. That one took me forever to figure out what it did. So beyond that, there's one other really interesting thing, which is if you collect five crystal balls, you get an artifact, which is a superpower that holds over between each run. And you only get to use it once per run, which is those f- that set of five levels. Uh huh. But it gives you a superpower, but a, a super powerful power. Like one of them like makes one of the frogs like you. Uh, and one of them just picks up something anywhere in the level. So you can just use it to grab an item in the level and then run out. But you can only do, you can only do 50 runs. If you die anytime between those 50 runs, your, your, your runs stop. But you can run through the dungeon and, and it scores your runs consecutively up until you hit 50 of them. So you can go through the dungeon. You can do those five floors over and over and over again and keep accumulating points. The problem is I don't think I've ever made more than about seven runs before I start dying because after a while, eventually you're going to run into a set where you're going to get some bad wands. And that's where it gets really interesting because, you know, because you're getting these things at random and because they're not identified, you do start to build up this lexicon of, well, this one, this one didn't do this, which means it might do this, but you never know for sure until you can test it. Can you get the same one multiple times in a run? Uh, in, in a single run, you get the same five wands for all five floors. Okay. So they refresh at the start of each floor. Ah, I gotcha. So, so you get a run of five and you have to survive all five floors with those wands. And then the next set of five runs, you get a different set of wands. Do they ever repeat the wands? Uh, some of them, well, powers frequently repeat because there's only like 30 powers, but the combinations is not usually the same. But you have to use the wand to know if that power is on the wand, right? Right. So yeah, at- any wand could have any set of five powers. Okay. 
And there's actually one ability that will actually remove an ability from a one and, and replace it with a different random ability. So um, uh, that is very interesting. I have a very important question for you. Yes. Can you change your gender? No. <laughs> yeah, so that was – I was saying to Luke that um, one of the reasons I really wanted to do this is because the roguelike radio episode about this just – they spent, they they kind of went onto a soapbox about uh, gender politics in roguelikes in a game that really didn't need it and has a lot of really interesting design aspects that I really think is worth talking about because this game – it's actually something you and I talked about when we talked about that game where every single run has has the equal probability of being successful. Yeah. When we're talking about designing game, this game does that because every single time you have you have to get through five floors. You have five hit points. You don't know what any of the ones does when you start a run and you have to put it together as you go. But every single round you're always going to get I've had runs where I get really bad ones, but for the most part, you're going to get two or three relatively useful ones, one that's probably going to be junk and one that is useful if you're clever. So you always kind of have the same level of success of getting through a run. You're, and yet, and, and theoretically, as the runs go on, you should be getting more and more powerful because you're accumulating artifacts, you're accumulating things. And yet every single run pretty much feels the same level of difficulty. And it's a really interesting aspect because it is so based upon randomness. But I think the thing that I'd kind of like to talk about for this game that I've seen that this game does that no other game that I've come across does is, or very few other games do, is it builds up this weird sort of algorithmic. Uh, you've played Brogue, right? Yes. This game reminds you of, feels like a, like a, like the logical conclusion of Brogue, where Brogue you have is very much an item-based game, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff you ha- you have to find weird uses for items in that game, and uh, items you don't necessarily know what they do. Yeah, I think uh, as far as like the understanding mechanics in the game and having to expand your knowledge base, Brogue is pretty broad in that. Like, yeah, in in most roguelikes, it's about like unlocking the scrolls and the potions, and and Brogue yeah. is a little bit broader than that. Exactly. And and this game does that a lot. One of the things I have in the, in the notes is that there's this weird shifting of the value of information versus hit points. Um, because sometimes it is worth taking a couple of, of hits to figure out what your one does. And sometimes it's not. And you really have to learn the balance of that. And it shifts from game to game. like And not even from game to game. Like sometimes from run to run. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, if you have a run where you have a lot of really powerful wands, it's worth taking a little bit more of a risk because you're like, well, I can get out of this situation. Probably I should take the risk to pick up as much stuff as I can now because it will increase my score. Whereas other times it's like, well, I have nothing but garbage. I should just get through these floors as fast as possible and as safely as possible so that I can get to the next run and get better wands. But also you build up this really interesting algorithmic way of sort of sorting through some of your wands. For instance, you know, one of the wands, like one of the wand powers is it automatically kills a lizard. Yeah. So you tend to start off by shooting at lizards. But if a wand goes through a lizard and doesn't hit anything and it doesn't fire off anything as it passes through any of the enemies and it doesn't knock out any of the enemies, then you could say, well, okay, this probably isn't an attack wand. But that means it's probably either a teleport wand or it's a wand that makes that makes some sort of treasure appear if it hits something. And then you're like, okay, well, now that I know what it isn't, now I can start trying to figure out what it is. And there's no point in shooting it at enemies anymore. Whereas another wand, it's like, well, nothing on this wand triggers. And I've I've used it in because any wand that you're gonna use, you're probably gonna have it 
naturally hit four or five situations where it should trigger. Yeah. Right? Like, if it's this power, this would have triggered. So I know what it isn't, but I still don't know what it is. And I very rarely have come across games like that. It's kind of like a Sudoku puzzle of wands. Exactly. Like, like even even Brogue, like, it's, it's item identification, but it's item identification by brute force. Right. Like, you, there were... I think somebody talked – they talked about it in the Brogue episode of Rogue Like Radio even where there are certain quote-unquote safe plays you can make. Like there's a scroll in Brogue where it will catch you on fire if you read it. So you learn to just start reading scrolls in water. You know, there's a scroll that will call enemies to you. So you learn to start reading scrolls in places where you can control what exit you're you know, that have fewer exits so you don't get surrounded by enemies. Like you learn these safety rules, but you never actually have to learn rules for how to how to identify something. Because they're still reading it just to get it to work and and you automatically know what it is once you read it. Exactly. And I think that's something really interesting about Syncopal that I, I've not seen a lot of games do and I'd really like to see more of. Like identification is always a yes, no state. That's that's always a, a feature that I was wanting to play with in a roguelike style game. That idea of like understanding and like it was something I was toying with with Cataclysm DDA as like a, a mod feature to include, where your intellect level affects what you know and the verbiage that you see when mm. you use something. Like for instance, guns, right? Yep, guns hold ammunition and buy like you can't put a shotgun shell into a, a 22 right and you also can't uh like you might not know the difference between a 22 and a 45 so like like a uh, layman joe who has never touched a gun in his life what when he looks at a gun it says it's a gun mm-hmm. but if you have a high weapon skill it would say it's a 45 magnum yep and and you're your character's intelligence and understanding and different things would expand and it, the game would respond in like kind. And, and a similar thing with that is like in, in any instance where you, if you don't understand it, it wouldn't give you any, any indication that you don't understand it. So like the information would be very loose. Oh, oh, it's a blue potion or it's a potion that smells sharp and acrid. Maybe it's acidic or it's a potion that eats metal or it's a potion that eats slime. And the more, information that you gain as you play play the game would sharpen the your understanding as far as the game's concerned and give you more information. I really like that. I actually think it would work really well with vehicles because troubleshooting a vehicle is very much this. Yeah. It's, well, it's definitely not the alternator. Yeah. But it's not firing. So some so it's either my bat, you know, it's like it's either my battery or it's my sh- or it's my spark plugs or it's like, it's definitely an electrical problem, but I don't know what part of the electric, you know, what electrical problem it could be. And you sort of have to figure it out by trial and error. And I think there are definitely room for things like that in some of these games, but so many games I think are about... The brute force aspect. What? The brute force aspect. The brute force aspect, but I think a lot of games, they want you to build... Syncopow, you know, again, something I have in my notes is Syncopow is about adapting strategies to suboptimal choice. Mm-hmm. You never have, you never have a full picture. You never have, you never know what the optimal strategy is. You are putting it together on the fly. It is a react, it is a reactionary gameplay. And I think games are scared to give you gameplay like that. I think games want to give you. I mean, even games that talk about making, about being reactive or more about being adaptive. Like, well, 
I, I think uh, considering Umbrolia, which you have shown me in the past, despite yep. the joke in the beginning, and Syncopala, it seems like this developer is very experimental. He very. doesn't, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's not a game. He doesn't exactly make a game as in more like an experiment in gameplay mechanics. Absolutely. And, and he uh, he teaches a game design course in New York University, I think. So, yeah, yeah I mean, th- these very much feel like uh, tinkering with theories, let's say. But I do, I do really think that there is room in whether you want to call this. Ro- I don't even know that I call these rogue like so much a strategy, like small scale strategy games. Yeah, I mean, considering the, the severe limitations in the game and, and that it's like so super minute tactical rather than yep. like the broader strokes of a roguelike. Absolutely, which is a weird thing to say considering how not broad strokes a roguelike usually is. True. It's taking something that is like super detail oriented, like a roguelike, and and paring it down to something super fine. Yeah. In, in its core gameplay, it's almost like a micro rogue. It, it it very much is a micro rogue, and, and one of the things that I think is really interesting about Imbroglio is it's it is almost perfectly deterministic. It, it, there is some probabilistic like. Why don't you take a minute and describe what deterministic means? Okay, so deterministic means that um, essentially there's no randomization at all. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, so like ch- chess would be a deterministic game. It is it is solely based on the moves that, the, that your opponent makes. Like if you think it out far enough ahead, you can 100% figure out what the optimal optimal strategy would be. Chess obviously gets around that because you know you have your opponent, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tic-tac-toe is deterministic. You know, and any game where there is almost no randomness is a deterministic game. Gotcha. And Imbrolio does have some randomness. Like the walls move, the walls shift at random and where the next enemy comes from is to some extent random. But it's, it's managed. It is random. Despite the random aspects, to understand the way the game plays means to understand how to handle any situation. Exactly. And it also means that you can, much like chess, you can reasonably predict, I know the enemy is going to come from one of these four corners, always. It's it's never going to come from the middle of the screen. You know, and I know I'm never going to get more than three of the same enemy in a row. And I, I know certain things about the game. And so the shifting walls are a factor, but they actually don't factor in as much as you'd think they would. It is still, if you have a good strategy... It comes, it comes solely down to how well can you execute it. And most of the game is planning it. So Imbroglio is you lay down cards and they level up as you use them. And the cards are your attacks. So you're building out a, you're building out a board that you're going to play on and then you're going to execute, run through the board. It's, it's, it's a really interesting take on, 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 uh, collectible card games, let's say. Right. But once you have that deck laid down, it's simply just, well, which card should I level up first and which cards are safer for me to level up first? And if you have a good board, you will do better than if you have a bad board. Syncopow doesn't have any of that. You are stuck with what you got and it's all random. Um, the way that the levels are built is random. What enemies are on the floor is somewhat randomized. Like there, there are four or five common patterns, but not a hundred percent. Are the behaviors of the enemies randomized as well? Uh, somewhat. You know that they're usually going to come towards you, but there is a, uh, it's actually very similar to Conway's Game of Life. Like if one enemy comes towards you in this direction and it bypasses another enemy, that enemy will move left instead of towards you. Uh-huh. Um, so, so you can, you can, 
you can tinker with that a little bit and you can manipulate that a bit. Cause like if, if you know that certain enemies will try to, to surround you, you can try to back into a wall, into a corner to make them line up, do, do little things like that. You can, you can push the AI around a little bit, but it is all reactive because you have, you have, you know, Imbroglio is a game where you have almost perfect information. You know what your powers are. You know what everything on the floor does. You know what all of the enemies are and you can guess where they're going to come from. Imbroglio, you have no idea what you're going to face. You have no idea what's on each floor. You don't even know what powers you have. You mean Cinco Pau. Or sorry, Cinco Pau. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know any information. You don't know what you've got and you've got to figure it all out as you go along. And so I think I think my sort of takeaway is Imbroglio makes me feel smart at the end of a run because I can say, oh, I did really well here or I didn't do so well. Cinco Pau constantly makes me feel clever because it's like I got out of this situation that I should not have been able to get out of. Yeah, it's far more satisfying when you're like, oh, what does this do? Hey, look at that. Through my own tinkering and figuring it out, I know what this does. Well, I know what this does, but also like, oh, I'm surrounded. I have two wands here. One of them does one damage, but this one will let me teleport. Oh, wait, I could teleport behind this guy, then hit him with this other wand, which will take him down to one health left. He'll walk next to me, and then I can kill him just by punching him. And figuring out strategies like that is really interesting. Yeah. Because you don't have that information. But yeah, I I, I like your point about Cataclysm. I would love to see more games that, you know what you know what we would call it? It's like Battleship, mm-hmm. where you're, you're throwing the pegs to figure out where your enemy isn't. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And and building a, an optimized strategy for hitting your target and then also beyond that, knowing what to do once you've landed a hit yeah. is crucial. Absolutely. So actually, that's a that's a great um, explanation of the system where, where um, you're going to fully randomize situation and you know that there is, are efficient ways to hit your mark mm-hmm. and there are inefficient ways. It actually sort of going back to our episode a couple of weeks ago uh, about Duskers. Uh, Duskers actually even does a little bit of that where you're you're learning on the fly, on the fly, and knowing what areas in a ship are safe tells you what areas in a ship probably aren't safe. Yeah. So you're you're sort of building that map as you go along, and I, I think that's really interesting. And I think more games really could could do more with it. Although I think once you get out into those bigger, broader game like. This doesn't work in a first-person shooter. I think for Far Cry 2 tried to do that a little bit, and a lot of people hated it. Yeah. Expectations of a game like the Far Cry or any other kind of Twitch reflex shooter do does not really engender a desire to be ponderous or to consider or to speculate or plan. Um, not to that degree, at least. Well, I don't even mean that so much as like Far Cry 2, you could pick up weapons and you wouldn't know how reliable they were. Oh. And I think I think that you know it's it's a mismatch of themes because it is it is about disempowering people in a game that is otherwise about empowerment. Correct. And I think Ibrolio is a game about an adaptation, or, or sorry, yeah, Cinco Pau is a game about adaptation, which makes it acceptable. The empowerment in Cinco Pau is actually in figuring these things out. Where in a right. shooter, empowerment is coming from a completely different direction, and that mechanic takes it away rather than gives you it. Yes, 100%. And and I think actually that was the thing I didn't want. Like, it took me a long time to get into Cinco Pau because it felt so random and so unpredictable. And I felt like just every time I died, it was like I never felt like it was my fault. Because it's like, well, I didn't know. I didn't know this did this. I didn't know this did that. 
And you really have to play it long enough to sort of grow that lexicon. And I think that's another reason why a lot of games are scared of doing it because there is a buy-in that is required for this kind of thing. It's you need to be willing to fail over and over and over again. You know, it's, it's sort of the Dark Souls thing. I mean, you need to be willing to, you need to fail to learn how to do it right. Yeah. Which actually, I guess, is true of a lot of games with bosses in them, right? There is a certain amount of failure for any game that requires you to learn. Yes. And understanding that that is part of the experience. Like Monster Hunter is the same way. Um, getting knocked around a few times before you get the, get the hang of uh, anything that you fight uh, is part of the experience. And yeah, I guess, I guess that's a form of pattern recognition. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a good way to, um, it helps to incentivize because yes, it's a little hard on a player when you're getting your, head kicked in by mm-hmm. you know Zora Magdaros or or Diablos that more recent experience for me um mm-hmm. that when you finally succeed and you get it down pat that is super satisfying yes. because you remember failing and then you experience the victory and it's it's all the more enjoyable the victory Absolutely. is sweeter no, I I think that's very much true um, so I don't actually have that much more. I don't know if you have some thoughts about the game. Not really. Uh, I, I think that we did discuss the major uh, detail. And, and it's a little unfair because uh, it's an iOS only game and you don't have an iPhone. Yeah. Well, it made it hard for me to actually play the game. Yeah. Um, are there any criticisms that you would love about this game? The art's a little wonky, which I mean, you know, it's in line fine. with his style, but I, I'm not a fan of it. I'm a yeah. visual person. Uh, it wouldn't keep me from playing the game. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that much. Looking at this game, I'm not sure without you encouraging me to try, I would pick it up. Not not because of the art style, but primarily because it doesn't look like a very complex game. It looks uh, yes. like a simple mobile game that wouldn't really catch my attention. I tend to avoid mobile style games in general. Yeah. It it really is, and, and all of his games have been that. And I we've talked before. I'm not a huge fan of his first game, Eight Six Eight Hack, and I had the same problem with that one, where it was like this looks like the most mobile mobile game ever made. And it wasn't until like four podcasts in a row that I listened to were like, this is an amazing rogue like that. I was like, all right, I'll try it. And I'm still not a huge fan of, of Eight Six Eight Hack for similar reasons to why I had trouble with Pow at first. But um, I think that's the problem. Not to use the whole, it doesn't seem like a, a roguelike to me thing, but I have an expectation about roguelikes being like deep games yes. with like a lot of content to dig up. So I think that's a bit of a turnoff for me. Sad as that sounds. It somehow manages to look even simpler than desktop, to- uh, desk. what is it, desktop dungeon? Yeah, I think that's what you're talking Yeah, desktop dungeons. It's a very simple game too. Yeah, the, the super simple like puzzle roguelike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you look at something and say, well, it's a five by five grid, there can't be any strategy here. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely a... It undersells it. Yes, it's something that you have to kind of overcome to get someone to actually try it out. Like, oh, it's not what it looks like, which is not usually a good thing for a game. No. Well, yeah, if if I had not liked his previous games, I probably would not have taken a risk on this one. Uh, And it it is really interesting. So, would you recommend this game? Yes. Um, I actually think after looking at it a little bit longer, I actually think it's better than Imbroglio because of the way that the runs work. Because Imbroglio, you are just, you're trying to get a high score. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Cinco Pau is, is, is run based and it's floor based, which means, you know, I could spend 20 seconds running through a floor. 
or I can spend three or four minutes doing a run. But then if I have a good run and I have a few more minutes, I can, I can just immediately go into my next run and immediately go into my next run. But if I don't have time, I can play one run and then immediately put the phone down and, and keep going. So it's bite-sized, it's chewy, it's meaty, and I think it's deep enough to satisfy people who want it. But, you know, like you said, there are definitely going to be people it's not going to appeal to. It's enough of a, of a puzzle game concept that you could probably sell it more on the fact that it's it's kind of a puzzle game yes. over the fact that it's a roguelike. I, I, absolutely. I, th- I think a puzzle strategy game is probably the best way to describe it or, or a miniature tactics game. Yeah. I do think the randomness is going to be a problem for some people. If you're a person who does not like randomness in your game, like if you hated XCOM, you're not going to like this game. Like it, it's just a fact. And some people really don't. Some people hate randomness. And for them, I would recommend Imbroglio. But no, I, I really think Syncopow is doing some fascinating stuff. And I'm really looking forward to his next game. I, I still am. Fantastic. Yes. So that, I'll leave you to do the closeout. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Spitball Sessions. Our next show will be up in two weeks, of course. Please take the time to rate and share the show anywhere that you can and your podcasting platform of choice publicly uh, tweet about it talk about it let people know the only way that will become popular or get out there is if people share this out so please do so yeah we can't do this without you yep so the next episode will be coming down the pike in two weeks and we look forward to seeing you there in an audio based format yes good night all good night Thank you for listening to a Spitball Jam Sessions. We hope you enjoyed the show. The intro music was Underneath the World by Midair Machine. The outro music was Words for Arabella by Maybe She Will. If you have any thoughts about the show, please contact us at spitballsessions.com and tune in in a couple of weeks for Celeste. Thanks again all. Have a good night.